We are live. Howdy all. Yes, uh, we're flying by the seat of our pants here. Oh, that's not a appetizing thought when it comes to me. <laughs> um, we're, uh, I'm, I'm up in my favorite cafe in Toronto. Russ is in New Jersey. Peter is back in Winnipeg after uh, slaying the slopes of uh, British Columbia. Uh, at, um, we'll, what's that? No, I just uh, nothing big freeze for me. Never mind technical issues here. Ah, okay. Um, we'll start with uh, we'll start with uh, Russ. Uh, we, uh, Russ and I had a little bit of a um, situation with uh, some of the baseball that we were watching this weekend, especially the uh, well, with me, the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Um, first of all, the Blue Jays are hideous. Um, but they ended up winning, being able to win two games because of what I considered the mismanagement of one of the new analytics. Uh, uh, well, let's just say Aaron Boone was hired, and there was a number of other managers in Major League Baseball who have been hired basically as push-button managers. At the base, using, using statistics, I mean, he has no experience at being a manager. They surrounded him with uh, experienced bench coaches and uh, you know pitching coaches, but it's up to the manager to make decisions and in two games Baron Boone made pretty bad decisions that ended up I think costing the Yankees a couple games and it's not, he's not the only one for us no I mean Gabe Kapler brought in a pitcher without him even being warmed up which is now secretly but not so secretly because everything gets reported we've gotten a um, warning from the league that if you do that again the pitcher will come in again without having any warm-up pitches. Now, we all know that normally there's a rule of eight warm-up pitches, but he didn't go through the protocol, and so the league basically penalized him because of the time constraints now that are put on pitchers in between innings. So there's that. There's Aaron Boone. I think there's six new managers this year, of which I think four of them are really brand new and first-time managers, or five of them, because Ron Goddard hired doesn't count, right? And the end of the day, I put up an article on Sportsology because, like, we've all watched baseball and we all believe we can manage. And I think to some degree that's true if you let your coaches do a lot of the work. With some of these other managers, they're letting the numbers do the work. And, and I think that's a, a scary thing because you have these coaches for a reason, gut feeling and otherwise. You get all the printouts anyhow. And... You know, a big question that I asked in this article is, you know, how big is the sample size that a brand new manager is using to determine pitchers? Because the Phillies used 21 pitchers in their first 28 innings, which is another MLB record, probably a record that nobody ever wants to break because that means they used a positional player already in the third game of the season. So when you see stuff like this, and I'll even bring it to Peter, I know he's not a big baseball guy, but you're trying to advance the game through numbers, but you could also reverse the game through numbers if if too many managers don't use them right or or believe in them too much. Context is everything. Context is everything, right? Like that's it. And look, baseball is the godfather, the big poobah, the top dog of analytics. The sport breeds analytics because of all the little nuances of different things of the recycled play way, the play works, right? Like it's just, that's just what baseball is. It, it's, it's a numbers game, but 
if you if you're looking at probabilities in the analytics say a probability should work like this it's the context in which the manager believes the probability will be at, in his favor and he has to understand how it works rather than just have a sheet and say do it this way and he's got to be able to say to the analytics guys here's why I didn't do it this way or here's when I'm not going to do it this way given this perception and what I've seen and I mean, I don't know baseball in any intricate way, and yet one of my favorite movies is Moneyball, simply because of the process and what it revealed. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like a guy shooting poorly in hockey, or it's like a golfer who just doesn't have a swing going. The analytics may say, well, this situation is happening on the field. You've got this guy at bat, but the manager's seen that the guy can't swing to save his life today. And, and he's not going to hit anything. And if he is, he's probably going to ground out into, into the shortstop. Well, you can't just use the analytics when you know the guy's not swinging the bat. And that's just something you see. Well, this, and, this is the, the, this that's, is the, that's the point that it can get you in trouble if you don't have the full context. Right. Well, this is the weird thing, though. And I'll use the Yankees game as a specific thing. Um, Yesterday, the game, they were leading four to one late in the game. Give up a two-run home run. They yank. They first of all, they yanked the starting pitcher after less than a hundred pitches, so he doesn't get. He was like in the in the fifth inning, so he doesn't get the win. Three runs. The, their bullpen does okay up until the seventh inning. They bring in one reliever. He gives up a two-run home run. They bring in David Robertson, who is a pretty good relief pitcher, and one of these guys who. I think is a little better against lefties than against righties, which is weird because he's a right-handed pitcher. Well, anyway, they get to the crux of the game, second and third, two outs, and Josh Donaldson, who has started off slowly this year, uh, is up is up at the plate, and they intentionally walk him, which is right-handed batter on right-handed pitcher, and intentionally walk him to load the bases and pitch to a lefty, which is virtually unheard of. So they 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 pitch they don't pitch the right on right they pitch right on left and Justin Smoke hits a grand slam to win the game and I'm like okay I I don't I know that Donaldson's numbers against Robertson were good and I know that Robertson's sort of a little backwards when it comes to you know who he gets out but that's that's hot that's baseball 101 that's like you you don't pitch into the lefty you pitch to the righty. Or you bring in another right-handed pitcher who gets out righties, and you do that. You know, it was just basic, and and I I don't know. It's like this is this is the point. I have never managed in the major leagues in my life. I've managed stratomatic baseball since I was twelve years old, and you know what? I have three le- or four less major league managerial games to my credit than Aaron Boone does. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's the way a lot of people feel, Mike. I do, and. Here's the end of the day. I really do implore people to go to Sportsology and read my article because I can't get into the whole thing. But as an example, in 1984, when the Mets hired Davey Johnson, he had computerized reports, and it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And instead of just getting these handwritten reports, he had them all on the computer, lefty, righty, all these different things. If you remember, as his career went on, he, he did some crazy things. He put Jesse Roscoe and Roger McDowell in the outfield so they could each pitch to different batters. Like He did things that were never done. So... I basically say, hey, it's early on, but when you are reinventing the wheel, there has to be a point where the success hits, because if it doesn't, then you look awful and you can have a very short career. That's that's the crux of it. Okay, let's get the show started here. Um, <laughs> hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, April the 2nd, 2018. 
I'm Peter Tessier, uh, back in Winnipeg and loving the spring that I see. <laughs> I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology, and all we got was rain today. I know my friends in New York have six to eight inches of snow. I just say, it's nice out here. And I'm Michael Agello, and uh, the snow in New York prevented me from watching the Yankees opening day here in Toronto, but it is cold as hell here. <laughs> and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Um, we'll start the show with uh, the news that broke literally about 15 minutes before uh, b before the broadcast began, and that was uh, the announcement, Peter, uh, from the Canucks through their Twitter feed that Henrik and Daniel Sedin will retire at the end of the season. I think this has caught what? a little bit. Everybody, yes, I'm yes, yes. I've been I've been peeling prawns before I got on the broadcast. Okay. So news. Okay. Wow. Yes, they. Um, they, they so that that that's been announced. So that means that I, I think their last game is Saturday night, but it could yeah, I believe it's Saturday. So that will be the last game of the Sedin's storied career uh, in Vancouver. Now, Peter, I know that you covered the Canucks. Yeah. You lived in Vancouver for a time, or I, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I covered until 2011, until the Jets came back. Yeah, and uh, what are your thoughts on this? Um, the Sedins will go down and should go down is the two greatest players in Canucks history. And that's all due respect to Pavel Burry, to Trevor Linden, um, even to Stan Smeal, um, and any of the, of the early ones who suffered for so long in that, in that organization as it was, you know, the Canuckle heads for that long. The Sedins, I mean, this is shocking. I'm like, you know what? This almost for me, because I remember when they were drafted, I lived in Vancouver. I, I'm still a Canucks fan. Um, this is on par for me in terms of just sort of thinking about it is when um, that game, their last game at home is going to be for a lot of Canucks fans, um, a lot like watching Gretzky retire. Not that he had, they had the magnitude of Gretzky to the game, but it's like saying goodbye to an old friend who you grew up with, right? That that feeling, and it's any great person for any organization. Pick your sport, pick whatever. When they're gone, um, you never get them back. And uh, the Sedins were, and still are, two of the classiest individuals who've ever played the game. There's not a blight on them in their careers. Um, they need to be Hall of Famers. If they're not, then there's a, an incredible injustice in, in the Hall of Fame. And I know there's people who will debate that, but some of the things they were able to do in, ho in a hockey game were truly astounding. And that should never be overlooked. And there are mountains of YouTube videos that you can go watch of what these guys did. Um, they were never the biggest guys. They were never the strongest guys. They were never the, the fastest they didn't have the hardest shot, but they took abuse in ways no one should. And they were durable and they had success. And at one point, they were the two best players in the NHL when the season finished. And, and that says a lot because it's very hard to get there. And this is a sad day for Canucks fans. But I mean, you know, for those guys, I hope they managed to maintain some roots in Vancouver because they're a huge impact in the community and what they've given and donated and where their families are growing up. And it's going it, to, it's hockey's loss that they're not there. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking up Henrik's uh, career stats here. 240 goals, 820 assists, 1,069 points in 1,327 games. Um, I'll look up Daniel as well. Uh, well here, here's Russell. that I've got. 
Um, okay. And this was as of December last year. The Sedins were the second highest scoring pair of brothers in history, you know, behind Wayne Gretzky and yeah. Brent Gretzky, who had all four points, and I'm sure he laughs about that. Yeah. Um, then, and that's including the Stasnys. Yes. Which were an incredible group. Yes. Yeah, so they passed the Stasnys, the Richards, the, the Sutters. Sutters. There's six of them. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that, but Rich and Ron, Rich and Ron weighed them down. They didn't pass. The Sutters as a whole yeah. are, are, I have to preface it, the Sutters as a whole are the leaders, but yeah. a pair of brothers is where the Sedins are yeah. second. You can't, you know, so the yeah. Sutters, there's one, two, three, there's six of them. It's yeah. not fair, right? No. But it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. I will show this picture from the 2012 All-Star Game in Ottawa because at the time I was really conflicted because the PR department had yeah. both Sedins out at once. And I was like, how am I going to talk to both of them at once? Yeah. So I took the picture figuring, all right, <laughs> that'll yeah. just be a moment for me where I see them both at once. And, and um, that's probably what it was like all the time. They did everything together. Yeah. The Their play was unbelievable. Uh, they had telepathic ways of knowing where they were going to be on the ice, which really I had never seen in my entire, in my entire life because I was too young for the Richards and the Gretzkys didn't play together. And yeah. the stutters weren't as good. No offense, stutters. You were, you were muckers and grinders. And so they had that, like, finesse that was amazing. They could get the job done with very little notice. Like, there wasn't a lot of fanfare with them. For as great as they were, there really yeah. wasn't. Like, yes, they made tons of all-star games, and they made it to the Stanley Cup. They didn't win it. But for whatever reason, we probably all took them for granted. Because yeah. they just did, they did their job so effortlessly and easily that it's so easy to overlook them on a daily basis. It really was. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember <laughs> driving to work the morning that Neil McRae and Brian Burke were talking. And that's when Neil McRae said the infamous Sedine sisters. And Brian Burke lost it. And he said, Neil, if you're going to refer to my players this way, our session, our weekly session is over and you yeah. won't be a part of this. Like, And Burke stood up for those guys on more than one occasion. What was interesting is I went to the next Canucks game and I was coming down, I can't remember where I was, and I ran into Brian Burke and we we're walking along each other. He was just kind of going someplace through the concourse. And I said, hey, Brian, I said, nice way to deal with uh, McCray on the radio. And he looks at me, and this is one thing I always like about Burke. A lot of people don't like Burke, but he gives you his attention, and he stares at you, and he'll talk to you. He looks at me, squirting, and I puts, puts out his hand. He says, thank you very much. And I said, no one needs to talk to those guys that way. And he goes, no, I really appreciate you telling me that. Thank you. Enjoy the game. And he walked off into his business. But it was an honest moment, and I always appreciate that about Brian Burke. A lot of things can be said about him, his blustery thing. But he went to bat for those guys. And I think you can find on YouTube where he talks about Sedin does not mean cross-check. Sedin does not mean slam your head into the boards. He defended those guys. And they, you know, and they used to get beaten on. Mm -hmm. And they, they like, it's a, one of the most unrelated things about them. And Peter, um, just looking up the stats on Daniel, 391 goals, 647 assists, 1,038 points, 1,303 games. So he's close to 400 goals. So, And the funny thing is they're, they're point-wise and game-wise, they're within like 50, 50 games of each other and 
less than 50 points. So remarkably consistent and along the same lines. Unfortunately, I, I think, and I can address this from a, because I agree with everything both of you said, but from the outside of Vancouver perspective, what's going to be remembered more than anything is one word, speed bag, is, is 2011, the Stanley Cup Finals, mm-hmm. and you know they're skilled players. They're not supposed to. They're not supposed to be battling along, you know, but with uh, with Brad Marchand. But the, the the perception out there of them, they're skilled players. They're remarkable. But it's always, it, and maybe that's the the Swedes of the previous generation. But they've always, I I've always picked up on the on the thought that they were soft. And I mean, I don't care if they're soft. They were remarkably skilled, and they were really really good players. I know that a, a few years ago, when their contracts were up, there was talk about the Leafs going after them, and I would have been all in favor of that because you're getting two really good players. That that's you know two thirds of a top line. So, but I think that that perception is gonna perpetuate because that's the video that everybody sees all the time yeah absolutely and yeah, you know, I, I don't know i look there are plenty of players that i could call soft over the years i've i've called thomas placanic soft i really i don't call the sedin soft because at the end of the day it didn't stop them from their job and that their yeah. job was getting points to me your soft is if you get beat up or pushed off the puck and it stops you from getting the job done. The Sedins always got the job done. Like there was no way to really cover these guys when they were out there. They were going to get their points, plain and simple. And I just, yeah, I just, I would never look at them that way. I get that some will, but at the end of the day, these two guys were special. They, they should both go in the hall of fame. I would give them plaques right next to each other. Like, cause we're going to look at this 20 years from now and you're not going to see a brother combination like this no. really in any sport, not just hockey. We're really talking any sport. No, y- y- you probably won't. And, and it's, they were remarkable. Um, I mean, it, you know, I could go on for hours on this, like, honestly, like, and, and it'll bore the stink out of everyone because it's, that's just, well, the way, that's just sort of how I feel about it. You know, it's a little right. emotional. Um, you know, I, I think I think one of the most fascinating stories, Peter, is the fact that how Burke got the two and the three together, I and mean, all the yeah. trades that he made to and what was it? Was it Patrick Stefan that was the first pick? Patrick Stefan was the first pick overall to the Atlanta Thrashers. <laughs> yeah. Now, and that and that's the thing. It could have. I mean, how it, it could have been very easy. This. Yeah. I mean, would they have? Would they have come over, or would they have yeah. played the, as well as they did if Atlanta had drafted Henrik? And then mm-hmm. Vancouver drafted Daniel, and, and and they were separated. I don't know if they would have had successful yeah. career as as successful careers as as they ended up having. Yeah, it's interesting because Daniel has won a Pearson and an Art Ross, and Henrik has won a King Clancy. So even if you want to say, well, they weren't that good. I mean, they had an impact on their sport. Yeah, that's a well, big... Henrik won a Henrik won a heart, didn't he? Yeah, didn't yeah. He? Uh, I I thought I thought one of them I thought one of them won a yes, heart. Yeah, the, and an Art Ross. Oh, Hart and Art. Okay. Great. Yeah, Hart, Art Ross, and a Clancy actually. So he so there's two Clancy's in the family there. Um, yeah, and when Henrik won it, he said it was what year was it? It was it was in 2010. 2010. He said, "Well, I guess yeah." At the award ceremony, I guess he goes, "Now I guess we know who the better twin is." I mean, right. these guys had. <laughs> had great yeah. great um 
senses of humor and you know you know they were and they drove each other in certain ways too yeah they trained together i mean it, it, in some ways yes it was exceptionally odd but it was at the same time being exceptionally cool yeah I mean, and, and that's something that's like i could tweet out links to youtube videos that i know off the top of my head about things they did and you know at the end of the 2011 season there's an amazing play and they're fine it was like the second to last game or final game is against calgary henrik wins the face off and draws it clean back to christian Erhoff. without even missing a beat Erhoff slap passes it down henrik between his legs tips it to daniel went to the front of the net who goes back and then goes between his legs al Merrick malik and over kippersoft i mean it took Erhoff to put it back but you can't think that way between two players without that intrinsic brother twin thing i mean they just yeah. did things that no one could do and it didn't always work in a magical goal yeah but, i mean you, if you go to hockey reference they compare henrik numbers wise to like adam oates and john rattel and and players of that ilk henrik zetterberg point wise and such a uh, few different things and if you go to daniel he's compared to yari curry and mcgillney and alfredson and saint louis and so, and I think that's just, if you think about it, that, that is where they should be. But because they're twins, they're probably marginalized for their singular careers yeah. because of that. Now, Vancouver finishes the season with three games at home tomorrow against Vegas on Thursday against Arizona. And I guess you mentioned uh, Gretzky, Gretzky's old team, the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday. So I'm sure yeah. that they're, you know, there won't be an empty seat now that this announcement is, has come out. So that, that should be. Something else good happen over the weekend, which I think besides this renewed cap space that they're going to yeah. recapture. Um, yeah, Q Tavares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thatcher Demko got his first NHL win in his first NHL game. He's just the fifth Canucks goalie to ever do that. He's the goalie of the future, and I, I followed this guy for his entire career. I know his family a little bit, and, and this guy's the real deal. And – that's a good way to start. If you think about it, with the guys they have, they have Besser, they have him, they've got some players, so they're, they're getting yeah. there. Although they were up 4-1 to one in the third period, Russ, and I turned that game off, and then I turned it back and heard it was 5-4 that they won in overtime. So It's a, it's you know, a scrappy I, Columbus team going up against the lousy yes. Canucks defense. Let's be real. That's yeah. true. All right, let, let's 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 talk about uh, what's hap what happened over the weekend. We've had some playoff races that have tightened. We have some playoff races that are basically over with. Let's start in the East. Um, in the Atlantic Division, uh, Boston beats Florida on Saturday. They lose in overtime uh, to Philadelphia on Sunday. Um, they're two points ahead of Tampa Bay. Uh, now. Uh, Russ, you were you saw the Bruins against Philadelphia, and I, I watched the entire game of them playing Florida. And the the thing that you know they're not skipping a beat; they're playing great. But players are dropping like flies. Brandon Carlo is probably I they haven't confirmed it yet. At least I haven't seen it. But he's got to be out for the year. His it was a gruesome looking leg injury that happened in the third period against against the Panthers, um, and. Um, uh, Riley Nash took a shot off a Tory Krug shot off the side of the head. He was helped to the uh, helped to the dressing room on Saturday, and he didn't play yesterday. I, I don't believe Rick Nash is out. McAvoy is still out. 
Yeah. Uh, Zdeno, Zdeno Chara came back, but they just keep going. Yeah, they they play so scrappy and so well. Cassidy has far exceeded what I thought he could do with this team. This team is 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 definitely capable of you know playing well without star players in there. If you go look at their third and fourth lines, you know Brian Giant is in there, or Carey scored a goal. I mean, these are not superstar players, but they're good role players. You know Ryan Donato's fitting in. But I have to say this: it just came down that. Uh, Brad Marchand got a $5,000 fine. Like, this is just total baloney. I got to tell you something. I tweeted out that he's a punk, and I'm going to stand up to that because when he got the cross-check, he had already knocked the player down, and he cross-checked him, I think it was Andrew McDonald, in the face with the stick while he was down. And if you're trying to tell me all that garners is a $5,000 fine, that's baloney because, again – we went through his rap sheet a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. This is why he, he doesn't he rarely gets suspended. And he and he and he does these things all the time. And I'm telling you, the crowd gasped when it happened. Now again, it's a flyers crowd, I get it. But even even people in the press gasped when he did that because even for Marshawn, that was exceptionally cheap. I can't believe he doesn't get any suspension. Peter, on my drive, on my drive to Toronto this morning, the um, the, the Buffalo radio station, uh, the the host has a uh, a real a real uh, thing for for Brad Marchand in terms of like how dirty of a player, how much of a weasel he is. Um, it was a little over the top because he was saying he should be banned for life. No. I think that's a little ridiculous. But he's had six suspensions. Before the suspensions are uh, more than eighteen months, so they really don't count. He's been suspended. He's been suspended five games this year, and I, I'm su I'm surprised that the you know the uh, repeat offender factor did not come to this. He cross checked Andrew McDonald across the face. Yeah. While he was this down, is, it wasn't okay. even like so he was on have, the skates. Have, yeah, we have two two issues here, right? We have two issues here. One, you have Marchand. Okay, his issue of his penchant for dirtiness, his penchant to do things that are really cheap um, and potentially very harmful to players. He is not unlike Brian Marchment in his recklessness. Mm -hmm. Okay, he just does it differently. He just doesn't go for the knee. Mm -hmm. The other issue is at what point does the NHL come to it and say your Department of Player Safety can no longer be run like it is. It needs to be independent of ex-players, independent of league, and it needs to be like a quasi-judiciary thing that is arm's length from everyone. You should make it up of, you should have an ex-judge in there. You should have a cop. You should have a lawyer. You should have a fan. You should have a like something different. It'll never happen. But the point is, you need to take it away from what they think is right versus what the consumer and what the paying public thinks is right. So, and independent because what it is right now is a farce. You, and, and, and the other thing about Marchand is all you have to do is watch, follow a couple Boston people on Boston media on Twitter and watch the whining they do. They perpetuate the fact that they're getting jobbed all the time and Marshawn is almost justified in his yeah, behavior. Yeah, yeah. Like, and we all know who we're talking yeah. about, right? Now look, and to be fair, Tory Krug was hit in the face on the Nolan Patrick yeah. goal. He was, yeah. it was still a great play and he was hit in the face and it wasn't called, but that happens to every team and every hockey yeah. game all There's across the world all the time. Yes. So 
this so rather than offside review have a review on stuff like this yep. where all of a sudden toronto goes down and says you guys need to see this what are you going to do about it on and put it back to the refs you can watch this on video review because that's the ability to help the game and to deal with the stuff Marshawn getting suspended five games after the fact, or if it even happens, as the case is not happening right now, is, isn't the, uh, the deterrent. The deterrent is Philadelphia gets a five-minute game and Marshawn's off the ice for 10, or, right. or a game misconduct, right. and then a review, because it's dealt with at the time. Marshawn is a child. You don't discipline your child two days after the, the crime happened. You discipline them right there, and you get – and maybe you find the coach because the coach can't corral his player too. Like, something's got to change. And it's well, not – we're picking on Marshawn right now. We're picking on yeah, Marshawn. he's not the only player. But, but, there, but there's a whole host of them. There's no, a I mean, whole it, host of them. I mean, Antoine Roussel is just as bad in Dallas than, than Marshawn. I think Marshawn gets more attention because he's one of the best scorers in he the league. He doesn't do it. Well, and, and see, that's the thing. I almost get in. Okay, I was surprised he got the five-game suspension earlier in the year for, for, that, for that particular incident. Now, when it comes to being three games away from the playoffs for this, which is, I, I, think, I think, just as dirty or dirtier than what he got suspended for, it's close to the playoffs, so they don't suspend him. This is the same sort of, I think, specialized treatment that Alex Ovechkin gets. He's a star player, so he doesn't get, it's okay to suspend the guy in the middle of the year when the games don't have any consequence. It's, it, you, know, you can say every game does, but still, it's like you're in the, it's January. Okay, if you can't do without a player for five games, that's like you know somebody's hurt for a week and a half. Well, okay, you have to deal with it, but when it comes down to a week before the playoffs, and if he gets suspended five games, that's two games into the playoffs, then that has ramifications that I'm sure would have uh, shaken the, uh, the the Boston Bruins to their core. Um, okay, Tampa Bay, and Russ, I watched a, a pretty much all of the game against Nashville. Um, didn't and didn't realize because Tampa was not did not play well that Stamkos got hurt in the first period and only caught on about, in the third that he was not on the ice. Um, there are indications that he's okay. Eric Erlinson's reporting that you know he'll be fine for the playoffs, but he's I, I, and I can't quantify how much of a percentage he'll be down. He may be on the ice, but he's not going to be 100 percent going in the playoffs, and that that spells a little bit of trouble for Tampa. It does. I mean, Vasilevsky's not 100 percent. He's not 100 percent. As I pointed out, even if they wanted to play like the Blackhawks, they've got three rock solid defensemen. After that, it gets a little shaky with Girardi and Coburn and Sergachev at this point in his career in his own end. These are a little bit of warts that Tampa is starting to show late in the season here. Still doesn't mean they can't come out of the East, but when you do see a team like the Bruins playing, who plays a, you know probably a better brand of what I would call playoff hockey than them with better goaltending, it does make you think that they, you know, depending on the matchups, the Bruins could come out or the Penguins or, you know, ahead of Tampa. And that's the, uh, the worry if, if I'm right now coaching Tampa or a fan of Tampa is that I'm not seeing what I should see going into the playoffs. I mean, there's few, few games left, but now you, you know, and Stamkos will play, he's a warrior, but the end of the day, I don't know. They're not the same team that started off this season. I can tell you that. No, they're not. And, and, and the thing, and the thing is, is that, 
I mean, I, I'm looking at it from the Toronto perspective. And the thing is, you know, Tampa and Boston play tomorrow night. It's the final meeting of the two teams. Uh, Tampa is behind by two points. If they even it up, Boston will have a game in hand. Boston's schedule got a lot easier because the Florida Panthers went in the tank this weekend. Um, and and th- this is the thing that I, I struggle with, Peter. I don't understand it. You know, I, I on, on the one hand was – was cautious about the Panthers playing Roberto Luongo as much as they did. But they start James Reimer in Boston on Saturday, and the score is 4-1. to And, of course, being, being someone who covers the Leafs, 4-1, and James Reimer in Boston just brings back memories. Well, at 4-1, they pull Reimer and put Luongo. And my, my, my thought process is here is, okay, if you started Reimer to give Luongo a rest, then why don't you just keep him in there because that game was over with? And they didn't, and they bring in Luongo, and I think the game ended up 5-1. I, I, don't, I don't get you – know, they should be playing Luongo every game. to you know. But now, now they're seven points behind, and it's pretty much over with. The Devils are going to make the playoffs. I, and, and this is why I felt Florida was not going to sneak in. Simply because I just I didn't think they had it in them, and decisions like that, like Wongo is having an amazing season. Let the guy run it out because he's your best chance. Uh, and, and and frankly, we all know what happens for teams that are that close to the playoff race. You have to play playoff hockey two weeks before the playoffs start. That's just the way it is, and we're seeing it. We're going about to see it in in the West for sure with how tight things are. And unfortunately, Luongo's going to have to go every game, and he should have went. It, it's, it, but it's decisions like that that, you know. Well, he's played 31 games, but I don't know in what kind of game span, and, you know, since he's yeah. come back from injury. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. Either. But you know, here's the thing, and this is, again, this is the worry just for Florida in general. Like last year, he only played 40, right? So, you know. He is winding down no matter how good he is when he's in there and probably isn't capable of doing what you want him to do, Peter, because he's three years removed from playing 62 games. I don't think he can yeah. play 62 games anymore. No, he yeah, had injuries here, but, I mean, you never know. Maybe his, maybe he's saying, I can't go, I'm too tired. There right. could be other reasons, right? Right, and, and, if, and if that's the case, and I, I get that because they played him so much, then why in the hell is Travis Green – pulling Reimer and putting in Luongo at 4-1 midway through the second period. If you're going to give him a rest, the game is pretty much over with. I mean, I know desperation. You, you're, you're de- desperation. Yeah, it's absolute desperation. But, you know, honestly, they, I think they gave up a goal after that. It was 5-1. If you come back to the third period, I would have put Reimer back in there because Luongo's Luongo uh, playing down. You know, now they have five. They have four games left. They're seven points behind Jersey, and they have to win out, and they have to pray that, that Jersey loses their last games, which is not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. It's, it's, it's happen at all. Too hot. It's not going to happen. Like that's, Ugh. this is, you know, this is one of the biggest stories in hockey because at the end of the day, and I started chronicling it, what, probably like three, four weeks ago, how good he was playing and how much he was filling in for Schneider. And now he has basically won the job for whatever reason. Schneider's not a hundred percent. He doesn't look yeah. right when he's in there. But Keith Kincaid's going to get game one in the playoffs. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. And, and, you know, whether people are going to say it's the Andrew Hammond effect or not, he, like I said, it, Taylor Hall, everybody will say he's the, the heart guy for 
one of the heart nominees for the league and also the guy, you know, that guy for the Devils. And then Keith Kincaid's number two, man, because without him, this season would be over. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry, I, that. sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Peter. No, I, uh, yeah, I, I agree, Russ. It's, 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 it's totally there. And I, I don't, I got nothing to add. It's, uh, you're right. It's a cool thing. I mean, it's one of those things where he almost should win goalie of the month, you know, because if you think about it, like this month has been massive for him for the amount of games he's won for that team. I'm looking it up. I'm trying to look up his totals now. And of course, you never get it as quick as you want it. But he's. Uh, hold on. I got this site crapped out of me. All right. So he's, um, he's got 24 wins. 24 wins. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of wins. It's for unbelievable. Hmm? It's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, you got to, I mean, I forget how many wins do the Devils have? I mean, he's more than 50% of their wins now. The Devils have four, 42 wins. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got more than 50% of their wins. Yeah. yeah. It's a great story. Let's just, let's, Let's just finish out finish out the East here, you know. And Russ, uh, Columbus oh, wait, and Philadelphia. Hold on, Mike. Um, because the the, um, the chat room mentioned it, and it's true. I did see it over the weekend that Cal Foot did sign his ELC and is playing in Syracuse. So that's another player. He's not going to play for them this year, but it's another player that Tampa could throw in the mix next year. Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna burn a year of ZLC, so probably not. He'll he'll play with Syracuse, but okay. So in, in the East, just to finish off, Columbus and Philadelphia are at ninety four points. New Jersey's at ninety three points, all with three game, all, all with seventy nine games played. So it's gonna be a battle. I, and I have to say, if it's me and I'm one of those three teams, it's a battle to not to play Pittsburgh. Well, here's the thing. So if you're Pittsburgh and you lose out, you could drop down to the wild card. Is there any incentive for Pittsburgh to win at this point? Oh, I, I mean, no, but but the, but I mean, but Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh has played a game more. They have 96 points, so more than like. I mean, you're talking. Um, you're talking three games remaining for the Blue Jackets, the Flyers, and the Devils. So at the 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 max that that the that Columbus can get is a hundred points. Same for same for Philadelphia and New Jersey is uh, ninety nine. Um, yeah, I mean Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is still catchable, but I, I my my what I'm saying here, Russ, is if I'm any of those three teams, the last team I want to play is Pittsburgh. No, no, I get it. But if I'm Pittsburgh, I might tank at this point too. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's some merit there too. There I mean, is merit to it. I mean, I don't want to say they should, but I'm just saying logically there is merit to that. Yeah. The, it, it it's a really funny sort of situation right now, right? Like Yeah. It, it's really odd. I mean, I just had to pull up cuz I've been looking at the west so much, but Pittsburgh's got 96 points. Why not let Philadelphia move in there? Right. And 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 blow your last two games. Give everyone, give as many players you can as a rest. Mm -hmm. Whatever you got to do, and let Philly, who still has to 
has to be a little cautious. Well, no, they're pretty safe. They're all safe. They're, out there. safe. they're all safe. Yeah. But they've got three games and Pittsburgh only has two. You know, it's, it's an interesting idea. Okay. Now, in the in the West, we have to go there because the, the actually the race there is even more interesting. I mean, Nashville's home and cooled out. They're in first. They're gonna they're gonna win the President's Trophy. It looks it looks as if they're guaranteed yeah. that. Winnipeg, very impressive three one win in Toronto on Saturday. Peter, I mean, big. Uh, it, I've I've been watching the Jets more and more lately, but seeing it in person, big, fast, tough. Um, and then the, the Leafs were the second of back-to-back games, and they played McElhaney, who played decently. But you could, you had to be lying to yourself if you didn't think that Winnipeg was a better team. And they're, I think their defense is better. And Truba came back, yeah. uh, which is big for them to get him back in the lineup. So, yeah. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, unfortunately, I was driving back from BC, so I was listening to the game on satellite radio. And I'm not one for calling out people who do a very difficult job but we had the tsn 1050 was what was going on through sirius and that might have been the poorest called game by an announcer i've ever heard in my life um my wife who normally watches uh, watches some downloaded thing on her ipad in the car took off her headphones because she saw me losing my mind as I'm driving down the Trans Canada. And she's like, I said, she was, what's going on? I said, you got to listen to this. So she started listening to the game. And she's like, do these guys even know another team's play? Oh, yes, of course they do. Because every time something happens to a Leaf player, they're going then no call after that. And there's no call after that. It was <laughs> unbelievable. So what I what I gathered between by the call was simply that the Jets started, after the first period, started pushing the Leafs um around physically and then pushing the play past them and it was very hard to get an understanding of sort of what was going on in the game like you know where the play was because it was such a poorly called game um but man oh man did it sound like the leaf the the two gentlemen calling the game were very frustrated (laughs) so i gathered that's a really good sign that the jets were doing something right well, I th- you know what I think it was, Peter, because really the games the games between now or between Saturday and the end of the season have no consequence. The, what I know that the anticipation in the press box was this was going to be a great game, yeah. a power, powerful offensive team in Winnipeg, a powerful offensive team in team in Toronto. It was going to be it, you know there was no consequence for either team because they're stuck where they are, but it was going to be entertaining, and it really wasn't entertaining. It was like, I mean, you, you were you were impressed by what the Jets could do and imposing their physical will and the Leafs, you know, really couldn't. And I know Babcock, you know, Babcock after the game said, you know, well, second of back to back and, you know, whatever it was making excuses. But I mean, to my mind, I thought that Winnipeg was just the bigger and better team. And, you know, that I, I think down the, down the line, I think the Leafs know that they have to improve. And, and I think yesterday and Saturday was an example of that, but I just think that everybody was excited at the anticipation of a really good game and it ended up not being as good as people thought that. So that's why, you know, Joe Bowen and Jim Ralph are the announcers. And I, I think they're among the best in the business. I've listened to them for years. Um, it was just a disappointing game, I think more than anything, but okay. So, you know, Minnesota is a, for you, Mike, from NHLPR. Yep. Uh, pretty good one. Only five skaters have appeared in more regular season games than Alex Ovechkin since he entered the league in 05 06. Mm-hmm. Marlowe, Dustin Brown, Henrik Sedin, Eric Stahl, and Brent Seabrook. Hmm. 
interesting. Not, not Cagliano because he had the long streak. Nope. Wow. Okay. Because they're counting it from uh, 05, 06, and maybe he had one season yeah. where he kept the streak but didn't play, you know, the full season. Yeah. Now, I mean, one other thing on the Sedins, too. Since 2000, um, in terms of point totals for the, for the league, Henrik is has the ninth best season, 112 points, and Daniel had the 21st best say, season at, at 104. I mean, you know, the guys can play. <laughs> now, okay, uh, Minnesota's in third spot in the in the Central at 96 points, and they have four games God, remaining. Devin Dubnik is the starting goalie for my fantasy team, and I need him in the playoffs. So thank goodness for that. Yeah, and he, they've got four games, so I, I think one way or the other, for us right now with the with the phone, it's like it's tough to. I know. Um, yeah, they're you know they're I think they're a lock for at least the wild card, but they're probably good for for third place. Uh, in the Pacific, you got Vegas at 107; they're a lock for first in the Pacific. San Jose at 98. This this is where this race is unbelievable. I watched the Anaheim Colorado game last night. And it's something about ex-Leaf goaltenders blowing chances for their teams. Jonathan Burt, now, we have to give consideration to the fact that that Colorado has lost Eric Johnson probably for the season, at least six weeks, and Varlamov is out for the year. So Jonathan Bernier is the number one goaltender. And they, and they were up, they were up, I believe it was, three, yeah, they were up 3-1 late in the third period. Anaheim came back, tied the game, and won it in overtime on a, an unbelievable goal by Akasha. Um, Colorado gets a point out of it, but that should have been two. And the race is extremely tight. Anaheim is at 95. L.A. is at 94. Colorado is at 93. St. Louis is at 92. St. Louis has got the extra game. So you've got four points yeah. or three points separating four teams going into the final three or four games of the season. It's Mike, unreal. Mike, I put this up in the blog because this could have uh, my blog take because this could have implications on the jets. Um, like the wild aren't a sure thing and they have a boatload of injuries. Yeah. Um, now I check when I checked the injury update today, it said that Suter has a fractured fibula. He does. Yeah, he his foot was flopping the other day when okay. he tried to put weight on it after it got careened into the boards and yeah. So, so I don't think we're seeing him in the No, playoffs. so that's 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 a big deal. It's a big loss. And you know and they also uh, don't have Spurgeon as well and other defensemen. So they they've got some issues. But look at who the teams play. The schedule has lined up amazingly. So Minnesota plays home against the Oilers then at the Kings at sorry, at the Ducks, at the Kings, at the Sharks. Yeah, but a couple of those teams may not care by the time they play them. But the Sharks maybe not, but the Ducks and the Kings need to care. Yeah. Colorado plays at the Kings at the Sharks and then at home versus the Blues. Yeah. You know, the Ducks play at home versus the Wild and the Stars then at the Coyotes. They probably have the most favorable run. Except the Coyotes are hot lately, so maybe not. Yeah. And then the Kings, they're at home three games, Avalanche, Wild, and Stars. I mean, St. Louis has a weird one. Two home games against the Capitals and Blackhawks, and another, then they go against the Blackhawks and then at the Avalanche. I and, mean, and Peter, Peter, those yeah. games against the Blackhawks are not going to be easy because those two teams hate each other, and yep. it, it, will, it will make their season to screw the Blues out of a playoff yep. spot. Exactly. The, the, you know what? No one envisioned... When when the schedule came out 
no one envisioned this is the scenario we would see. And if you look at the teams who you thought be battling for eighth, seventh, and eighth, the schedule looks kind of cool that way too. But this is better than we could have hoped. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. Well, and actually, the beginning of the year, we looked at the Metro and the East as the the best conference, best division and best conference, and it's not the case. No. The West has taken over really for like half a season now. Yeah. And, I mean, if, you know, Nashville knows they they're going to have tough they're going to have a, a a tough round at some point yeah. like and that that's what it is they they know what it takes to get there but you still have some preferences and probably the last team they want to play is someone like the Kings or the Ducks who play a big heavy game especially have, the Ducks what's that especially the Ducks especially I don't think they the want to play the Ducks and 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 both teams have Stanley Cup experience and you know and their team and <sighs> It could it could be a real. I think Nashville is going to get through no matter who they play, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sure. And well, this, they, that's the thing. Like they want Colorado or St. Louis in the bottom, as far as I can tell. Well, but, this is the this is the interesting thing about about uh, about Nashville. I mean, this weekend they were toying with Tampa yesterday. I mean, it was it was it was not a close game at all. Yeah, it was two nothing. Tampa. Tampa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, t- Tampa. Tampa was down two nothing. They got a goal, and then Nashville took the game over again, and so it really wasn't close. But this is the same weekend they got hosed by the Buffalo Sabers. They lost, I think, seven four to Buffalo. So, and there and there's another. There was another incident there. The uh, the Scott Hartnell hit on Victor Antipin, which was um, beyond dirty. And Antipin is concussed. I think it was He's stupid. Got, I don't know if it was dirty. Like, here's the thing: he hit him. Antipin did brace himself, but he hit the metal rod in the glass, and that did mm-hmm. most of the damage. Now I'm not taking anything away from Hartnell. It was a you know it was a bad hit, but I think it was a stupid hit. We've seen Scott Hartnell play stupid hockey in his career quite a bit, especially in this part of the woods. And, right. and but I kind of wish now that either the metal in the glass would be recessed more or have some sort of padding on it. Like it doesn't. That's a bad spot for players to hit. It is. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I just think we're we're in we're in store for extreme an extremely tight race the last uh, the last week of the season. I mean, I think the I think the West and and, and just to finish off the show on this, Peter and, and Russ, um, the we were talking last week, Russ, about how we think the West is. I think much, much stronger than the East. And I think we saw, you know, we saw it with Boston and Winnipeg and that was a pretty, that was a pretty tight game. Yeah. But, and we've seen, and we spoke, but Toronto is one of the better teams in the East and that game wasn't close. I, I think that, you know, if it's the right team in the East matching up against the right team in the West, yeah. that, you know, say Pittsburgh or Tampa could, could make a contest of it in the Stanley cup. But if it's a strong team from the West and it's the wrong team from the East, I think they're going to bowl over them easily. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Sorry about today. I apologize. Got family stuff going on here with my son, but uh, you guys did a great job on the show. I've been listening the whole time. I've been taking care of him. So good work, guys. And uh, yeah, it is going to be a fun week for sure. Could be last no. home games for Eric Carlson and John Tavares, too. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's going to be really interesting. And look, from, and uh, I'll be, I'm writing later on today and or tomorrow about Montreal's situation, which and there's a lot of stuff going on there, too. Uh, coming into this summer, they could be making some interesting moves. We're going to have a really crazy, crazy summer of rumors around here. 
Okay. Well, we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. We may have Kevin Allen on the show tomorrow. I'll, I'll see if we can get him. Um, so for, for Eck, for Peter Tessier, for Russ Cohen, I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey.